We're going to continue our worship this morning by opening up our Bibles to Psalm 34. And if you have your Bible, you're welcome to open up there. We're going to read that psalm together and then look at some of the themes that come out of there. Uh, This week, I also went ahead and added the scripture passage right into your song lyric page. So you have that on the back page there as well, if you'd like to just follow along and study it there. But we're going to look at Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's a woman named Celeste Sibley who was a columnist for many years at the Atlanta newspaper and tells the story of an unexpected blessing that she received one morning when she went to a local cafe. She went to a diner with her three children. And as she entered into the door of the restaurant, it was so busy that there was no place for her family of four to sit. All the booths were occupied, even the the bar counter there. uh, There were a few stools, but there weren't four seats in a row. And so she and her children had to split up and sit in different places there along the counter with several people in between them. Mary, her eight-year-old daughter, was seated at the very far end of the counter on the other side. And When her food was served, she called down in a loud voice, Mother, don't people say grace in this place? A hush came over the entire diner. Then the waiter said, Yes, we do, sister. You go right ahead. And so everybody in the restaurant bowed their head and closed their eyes, and it got completely quiet. And the little girl bowed her head, and she said in a clear voice, God is great. God is good. Thank you for this food. And truly, out of the mouth of babes, there comes praise to God. But this morning, we're going to see that little Mary was right. God is great, and God is good. And often we forget about, and we don't take time to just meditate on the goodness of God. Mary said it in front of all those people who were just busy eating their breakfast, and they suddenly were reminded, oh yeah, there's a God out there, and he is great, And he is good. And this morning I'm here to tell you, there is a great God in this world. And he is a good God. Let me go ahead and read the passage for us. I'm going to read all of Psalm 34. It tells us in the introduction or the superscript, the historical background of when David wrote this song. Bear in mind that anytime you have an introduction that's in all caps, or maybe it's in italics in your Bible, that this is part of the inspired Word of God. This is part of Scripture. Even though the number one, verse one, hasn't appeared yet, you do want to take note of these historical points. These are not just inserted by an editor later on. They're part of Scripture. And here David tells us that he wrote this psalm. He says, this is of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Now hear the word of the Lord in this song that has been crafted by David. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. To those who look to him, are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. 
The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This whole passage is so delightful. But I want to focus your attention this morning, especially on verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And this verse this morning can be broken down into three basic points. We see the invitation, we see the evaluation, and we see the benediction. First, we're going to begin with the invitation. David says here in the middle of this song, taste and see. And this is one of actually several invitations that I just read for you. Back in verse 3, he said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. An invitation that David, as the songwriter, would join together with God's people. Together, he says, let's magnify God. Let's make much of God. I love how John Piper describes what it means to magnify or exalt God. He says there's two basic types of magnification. One of them is what we see with a magnifying glass or a microscope. It's a magnification where something is so small and you make it look larger. It's so small, but by using that lens, you expand the vision so you can see it better. But there's another kind of magnification. We think of a telescope, for example, a star out in distant space, some massive celestial body. It's far greater than our earth, in many cases, even larger than our sun. There are so, some stars that are so big, they would encompass both our sun and our earth and still have space left over massive bodies out in the heavens, and yet they are so distant, but they are just a pinprick of light, and we magnify it through a telescope, making it look closer. We are looking in and examining. The Hubble telescope does this. It magnifies galaxies that are out there and nebulas that are out there and things that are far away and very great and brings them close so we can see them and have awe at them. That's the kind of magnification that David is talking about. Not making something small look bigger, but rather taking something massive and bringing it close that we can behold and delight in the character of God. Magnify the Lord with me, he says. Down in verse 9, we see another invitation. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And then verse 11, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 
Here in verse 9, we have another invitation to taste, or verse 8 rather, taste and see that the Lord is good. To taste, of course, is to test the flavor of a dish, to judge something with your tongue. When my children were young, sometimes something would put be, be put before them on the dinner table, and they might look at it and have that grimace on their face. Eh, I don't want that. And we had a very simple policy in our house. You have to take a one-bite try. Natalie came up with this. I think she heard it from somebody else. It was great. It was so helpful because we didn't force-feed our children, but we required them, give it a chance. You have to at least take a one-bite try. It may not look like something you're going to like. You may not like the smell of it, but taste and see whether it's good. Give it a try. So to taste is to test something. To see is to perceive something with our eyes. And there's actually a bit of wordplay here. Uh, to taste and to see, because the same word appeared back in the introduction or the superscript where David changed his behavior before Abimelech. The word behavior and the word taste are the same because David changed his behavior or essentially he lost his senses like a madman, allowing drool to come down on his face and scratching on walls and acting like he was a maniac. And the king said, what is this guy doing here? Yeah, I've heard the songs about Saul killing his thousands and David his ten thousands, but this is not the David I've heard of. Get this guy out of my presence. And David had to feign madness in order to escape the king. For a while, he lost his senses. But now he's saying, use your senses. Exercise your judgment to see whether God is good. David is saying, taste and experience for yourself who God is. Don't just take somebody else's word for it. Try him out for yourself. Get a copy of a Bible. Crack it open. Begin to read. You can start in Genesis and begin the story from the very beginning. You might get bogged down when you get to Exodus and then Leviticus and then Numbers. You might want to skip ahead as you're just getting introduced to the Bible. Go ahead over to the New Testament. Read about the New Covenant also. Read one of the Gospels, Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. Taste and see who this Christ is for yourself. Your eternity hangs in the balance. Don't just take somebody else's word for it or their opinion for it. David says you need to test and check out for yourself who this God is. Call out to God in prayer and see if he doesn't begin to work in your life. Get to know this God. Stop carrying that heavy burden on your back and turn your troubles over to him and see if he can't handle those troubles better than you. Some products boast a 30-day money-back guarantee. Why would they do that? Because they hope that once you have tasted or experienced and sampled that product, that you will be so convinced you won't want to return it. You'll like it and want to keep it. You'll feel you have nothing to lose, and so you'll give it a try. David says, try God. Give him a chance. Taste and experience for yourself. A few years ago, our family took a free tour of the Jelly Belly factory up in Fairfield, California. 
It was a super cool place. Enjoyed the entire tour. But at the very end, as we came back into the gift shop, we were told that you can sample any of the jelly beans that you want to. There's over 100 different flavors. Boys and girls, sometimes you go into my office and there's that jelly bean dispenser. I got that from the Jelly Belly factory. I picked that up because I thought, I want to take this back and let the kids be able to get jelly beans just like we did today. They told us there's three favorite flavors of jelly beans. Anybody want to guess what one of those three top favorite flavors are? One of them is very cherry, black licorice, and buttered popcorn. Can you believe that? Buttered popcorn is the third of the top favorite flavors. We were allowed to try those. We were allowed to try, there were some really yucky ones like grass and dog food flavors. So we got to try all the yucky flavors as well. I taste, actually I didn't taste those. I saw it and thought that is not good. I'm not gonna taste it. My kids tasted a couple of those. There was a a soap uh, flavor as well. But you go to a place like that where you get to sample a variety of things and decide which ones you like best. My very favorite is black licorice. And if I get a handful of Jelly Bellies and I pop that black one in my mouth, oh, it's so good. It's, it's my favorite. I savor it to the very, very end. Well, David says, come to a taste test and test out God for yourself. There's many different gods Thousands of different religions and holy books. Many places that you might be trying to find safety, comfort, peace of mind, pleasure. But he says there's only one place and only one person who is truly going to satisfy your deepest needs. And that is God himself, the Lord, Yahweh. Taste and see that the Lord is is good. In fact, every other God in all the universe is a cheap imitation of the one true God. Jesus called two of his disciples. One of them was Andrew. Tells us this in John chapter 1. And Jesus turned to Andrew and to his friend and saw them and said, what are you seeking? And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus responded, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Very similar to the language of David, taste and see. A few verses later in John chapter 1, it says that Philip discovered Jesus and went immediately to his friend Nathanael because friends tell friends good news. That's what we're to do is to tell our friends as we live out our faith, hey, we've got good news. We found the Savior. He's changed our life. He can change your life. So Philip goes over to Nathanael and says, we found the Messiah. And Nathaniel says, wait, wait, where did you say he's from again? Well, he's from Nazareth. Well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. Come and see. And, and by the end of that passage, a few verses later, Nathaniel has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Nathaniel confesses him as truly the promised king of Israel. And Jesus blesses him for his childlike faith because he comes and checks him out for himself. Come and see who Jesus is. Taste and see who the Lord is. And what will you find if you taste and see the Lord, if you experience this taste test? What will you discover if you follow after Christ? My guarantee to you is, 
if you truly, truly give Christ a chance and you begin to study his word and surrender your life to him, you will find that he is more good than you could possibly imagine. Taste and see, friend, that the Lord is good. That's our second point, the evaluation. David moves from the invitation to come, taste and see, to now the evaluation. He gives God a five-star rating, if you will. Not to be trite, but, but he says, as I've evaluated him, I have found him to be so good. David says over in Psalm 145, verse 9, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. It's like there's just a big blanket of mercy in God's love over his entire creation. He's so good. While I was studying this passage and learning about the goodness of God this week, I received an unexpected blessing, and I thought to myself, I can't wait for my church to hear this. I hope that as we study the goodness of God for the next couple minutes, that you will be freshly encouraged at the God that we know and serve. Goodness is at the very heart of God's essence. God is good, and all that God does is good. Psalm 136.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 31 verse 19, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. I love that. It says there that God stores up for us goodness. He stocks up his pantry. He has plenty of goodness to spare so that he can lavish it upon his people. Listen to this quote by A.W. Tozier as he considers the goodness of God, tries to help define this for us, what it means for God to be good. The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy, and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. The whole outlook of mankind might be changed if we could all believe that the God of heaven, though exalted in power and majesty, is eager to be friends with us. The whole of mankind, he said, could be changed if we would just believe that this God of heaven, full of glory and majesty, wanted to be your friend. And that's the God of the Bible. No wonder that Matthew 5.45 says that God makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on both the just and and the unjust. If it was you and me, we would bless the people that are nice to us, but the people who weren't kind, we would just decide to move that rain cloud around and bypass the people who are unjust. But God is good. He is kind. He is slow to anger, and he pours out his bounty and his love, what we call his common grace, to all people. We see horrific things happen in our world. 
We hear reports of natural disasters. We personally know sickness and death and people that we love. And sometimes we ask, how could a good God, how could a loving God allow such atrocities? But something we don't often hear people ask is, how could God be so good to those who don't deserve it? You see, people will immediately shake their fist at God when things don't go their way, but they never stop to thank God for the many blessings that he's shown to them. It's just another sign of our hard-heartedness that we will affix blame on God for pain, but we never thank God for blessing. And yet, if we were to be honest, we see that his blessings and his mercies are new every morning. He is faithful. He is good. He is kind. He is pouring out rain for all people. He is shining his sun on all people. He is a good God. You say, well, what about the wrath of God? Isn't God angry? The answer is yes, because of God's holy character. He must take sin seriously. And he must one day judge that sin. God is angry at sin, and he must punish us because of our sin. But this does not diminish the fact that God is and will always remain good. And I think Exodus chapter 34 helps to bring these two truths in tension, that God is both angry at sin and sinners, and yet is good and loving and kind and patient at the same time. Listen to the words of Exodus 34 as God shows his glory to Moses. It says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Did you hear that? Did you notice that as I read that? Over and over, it recounted the goodness of God. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. He is faithful. He is steadfast. He forgives. And then the very last statement there is, but he will by no means clear the guilty. That is, those who are guilty and deserving of judgment will eventually find him to be a just God. Here we see both the kindness and the severity of God. But we should not view God as harsh or tyrannical or impatient, but the very opposite. God is long-suffering. He is delaying his judgment. He is urging and waiting for you to repent. And all the while, he is so good and patient and kind. God's goodness extends to all people in a general sense, but it is infinitely felt for those who are his children. If you've trusted in Christ already, then you know the goodness of God and you will begin to discover the goodness of God in ways beyond your imagination. Friends, we are just about to launch into a new study in a new book of the Bible. We're going to begin to study the book of Ephesians. And the opening verses of Ephesians are all about how God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we're going to be looking at the redemption that is ours, the election that is ours, the predestination that is ours, the adoption that is ours. Why? All for the glory of his grace. God is good, and he's poured out his goodness on his chosen. We are undeserving, 
We are unworthy, and yet God is relentlessly good. Don't be afraid of God. He's not out to get you. He's not looking for ways to to punish you. Even for your past. I talk to friends and they say, oh, I've just done some horrible things and I think God is mad at me. I think what's happening now is almost, they don't say this, but almost like some kind of karma that's coming back to haunt them for what they've done. Friend, that's not our God. God is good. He loves you. He is kind toward you. He is generous toward his children. And any time that he allows pain, it is only to heal you and make you stronger. The pain that God allows is like the pain of the doctor who injects the medicine or who performs the surgery. Yeah, there's, there's pain, there's soreness, but it's only for the purpose of healing, never to cause harm. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, the argument is from the greater to the lesser. God has already, as we celebrated this morning, the Lord's Supper, he's given what was his most prized possession, his one and only son. And if he would do that for you and for me, will he not also freely give us all things? He's going to scoop us up in his arms and lavish his everlasting love on us. David's evaluation is correct. God is good. And when you taste and see and test him for yourself, you will discover that God is more good than you can possibly imagine. What should we do in light of his goodness? That brings us to our third point this morning, the benediction. Because David says there in verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. There is a blessing or a benediction, a pronouncement of blessing and peace and wholeness upon the one who takes refuge in God. This chapter has some wonderful promises. I encourage you, mark this passage in your Bible and go back to it regularly. Find comfort and encouragement in it. And as you read through it, it might at first almost sound like a prosperity gospel. These promises are so wonderful. It almost sounds like a bad doctrine of prosperity gospel that trust in God and you'll be healthy and wealthy and happy. Verse 5, for example, says, Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. Or you go down to verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, for those who fear him lack nothing. Verse 10. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You go down to verse 20. God keeps all your bones. Not one of them is broken. This sounds great, doesn't it? The Christian life is going to be easy. Accept Jesus as your Savior, and all your problems will melt away. Right? No, that's not what David is saying here. This is not a prosperity gospel. Look at verse 4 again. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. 
Verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And again, remember the introduction to the psalm. This was written as David had just run for his life from Saul, who was trying to kill him. David went to the Philistine land to escape Saul in Israel. That's how bad things had gotten. And he goes into the Philistine land, and he comes to Abimelech, And Abimelech starts to hear from his advisors that, do you realize who's here? This is David, the one that has slain the 10,000s of the Philistines. And David sees no other option but to act like he's a crazy man, to get himself out of a dangerous place. And what this psalm is telling us is that although uh, David is using a little bit of strategy, at the same time, he's trusting in his God. And he's crying out to God in his heart, God, what have I gotten myself into Please rescue me. Get me out of here. I cry to you for protection from my enemies, from Saul in the land of Israel, and now from Abimelech in the land of the Philistines. Lord, protect my life. I I cry out to you. I beg of you. Please save me. And this psalm is like a breath of relief. Oh, God has saved me once again. He has protected me. See, the, the whole context of the psalm is that we as believers do go through trials. We do experience difficulties. It says in 8 there, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. When do you need a refuge? When you're in danger. When do you run to a shelter? When there's a storm or when there's a hot sun burning down upon us, right? Growing up in Michigan, they had a custom that the first Saturday of every month, there would be a siren that would blare at one o'clock in the afternoon. It was like one of those old air raid sirens. And the siren would run for like five minutes straight. And it would just run and run and run. And it would ring in your ears and it would eventually stop. And you'd still hear it in your ears for a while. It would just keep ringing. And the siren was a test of their emergency system so that if there was ever a tornado watch or tornado warning and somebody actually knew that there was a tornado, it was a way to warn you to seek shelter. Now the siren had another purpose as well. We lived about 10 miles from a nuclear power plant. And so that siren was a warning that if there was ever a nuclear meltdown and you heard the siren, you were to go and seek safety. It was a really comforting thought when you would hear that siren like, wow, okay, I hope this is just the test, right? Oh yeah, it's Saturday, okay, we're safe. But you'd hear that, and it was meant to alert you of danger. We were told if there's ever a tornado warning, you hear the siren, you run to an interior wall. You get into a room, if you can, where there's no windows around, maybe a closet, maybe a bathroom. You, You hunker down, and you cover your head and your neck. And as, you, as long as you practice good safety, more than likely you'll be okay. The winds may roar over your head, but more than likely you're going to stay safe by practicing some good precautions. You don't go outside in the field in the tornado. You don't stand under, under a tree. You don't stand by a window. You go to a safe place and you find shelter and safety. Well, friends, this is a broken world that you and I live in. David does not say that we're exempt from suffering, but he does say that God's protection will surround you when you follow one simple piece of advice. Seek refuge 
in him alone. We are to take refuge or to shelter ourselves in the Lord, and those who do so will find joy and blessing. You say, well, how do I seek refuge in the Lord? What does that look like? Let me just share with you three ways as we close, three ways that you can take refuge in the Lord through the storms of life. First of all, sing to the Lord. Take refuge in the Lord by singing to the Lord. Here we find ourselves finding encouragement and hope in the middle of a God-inspired song. This is a melody for our hearts with truths which can comfort us and carry us through difficult times. Do you remember what Paul and Silas did after they had been beaten and dragged down into the jail in Philippi? It says they were singing. Maybe they were singing as they were groaning. Maybe they were singing as they were wincing, singing as they were favoring those bruises and those cuts, but they were singing to the Lord to such a degree when that earthquake came, the jailer ran to them and said, what must I do to be saved? There was something that he saw in them and heard in them of how they responded in this trial, singing to the Lord. He had never in his career ever seen prisoners act like this before. But they took refuge in the Lord. Martin Luther says, music is a gift of God, not a gift of men. After theology, I give to music the highest place and greatest honor. And of course, we have a wonderful hymn that Martin Luther wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, one of my favorite hymns, because Luther recognized music is not a gift from man. You know, when there's the the Emmy Awards or the Grammy Awards or whatever the different awards are on TV, that's not where music comes from. Music comes from God. And when we sing as a church, we are carrying out the divine mandate to give him praise with the gift that he gave to us, to use our bodies and our voices in worship to the Lord. It's a gift from God and is a way that we can take refuge in the Lord as we sing, as we listen to music. It's not by coincidence that the early African Americans, the Negro spirituals, that that oftentimes those slaves and those who worked long, hard, difficult, painful, unjust experiences in this life, that many of their much of their time and many of their songs were focused on God and on heaven because they sought refuge not in this earthly comfort but in heaven above so sing to the Lord secondly cry to God in prayer you can take refuge in the Lord and find blessing by crying to God in prayer we see the groans of David in this passage in verse 6 this poor man cried and the Lord heard him you go down to verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and God's ears toward their cry. Wherever you are, friend, whatever you're going through, God is there. And he hears the cry of your heart, which may be a whimper or it may be a heavy sob, but God collects those tears in his bottle. They are written down in his book. He knows your pain. He knows your sorrow. He cares for you and he promises he will never leave you or abandon you. 
Cry to God in prayer. First Peter 5 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. As we pray, we shift our eyes from our problems to our protector. And we begin to sense the peace of God. We crawl up into his arms and find a safe place. But thirdly, don't just sing to the Lord. Don't just cry to God in prayer. But thirdly, meditate on God's word. To meditate kind of has the idea of like a cow chewing its cud, that you're, you're mulling it over. You're getting lots and lots of nutrients out of it. It's not just that initial like bite and swallow, but rather it's enjoy, linger on it. There's so much more there, like a lozenge that you suck on for a while and get more benefit from it. Chew on the Word of God. Meditate upon it. 2 Samuel 22 is another excellent chapter that I would commend to you, along with Psalm 34, to find comfort and encouragement and hope. Again, written by David. David says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. Later on in that passage in verse 23, listen to this. He says, For all your rules were before me, and from your statutes I did not turn aside. You see the connection there between David trusting in the Lord and clinging to him and hiding behind his shield and going to the word of God. All your rules were before me, he says. I didn't turn aside from your statutes. See, he uses scripture to find comfort and hope. Then you go down further to verse 31. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. God is shield and his word is true. And if you are going to take refuge in God, you must take refuge in his word and spend time in his book. Because it is only in scripture that we will find his promises and peace everlasting. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Father, thank you for this promise that you will bless all those who take refuge in you. Lord, as we have tasted and experienced you today, and many of us for months, even years of our lives, we collectively say, the Lord is good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy toward us. I pray that more people in the Morongo Basin would taste and see that the Lord is good and that they would find blessing as they take refuge in him. I pray that more people in the United States of America would taste and see that the Lord is good. There is no one and nothing else where they are going to find satisfaction and security. Lord, I pray for our world in all of its turmoil, in all of its tragedy, that people would find there is a good God. And if they would simply reach out and look for him, you promise that if we seek you, we will find you. And if we ask, we will receive. And if we knock, the door will be open. So Lord, let more taste and see that the Lord is good and let us live our lives in such a way that the Lord looks good 
and that the Lord sounds good and that people are even provoked to a kind of divine jealousy of wanting what we have. And thankfully, we don't have to hoard what we have, but we are to freely give it away, knowing it is more blessed to give than to receive. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the gospel. We praise you for these ways that you've given us to take refuge in you. I just ask, Lord, that you would help us to grow in our knowledge of your word and memorizing your word and that we would even grow as a people in our use of music in our own personal lives and our families and as a church. Music is such a wonderful gift. As Martin Luther said, along with theology, it is one of the greatest gifts that you've given to us. Let us use these means of grace to their full potential. And we pray all of it in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's broadcast of Feed My Sheep, a ministry of Crossview Bible Church in Yucca Valley. For more information, please visit www.crossviewyucca.org. We'd love to have you come and visit us this Sunday. We're located on Onaga Trail, just a half mile west of Yucca Valley High School. God bless and have a great week.